reality. In the Bible, Pontius Pilate at one point asked Jesus, what is truth? Truth is that which corresponds with reality. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. It's not subjective. It's not something that we get to make up individually on our own. You just heard from the folks that were uh, singing and playing instruments up here. Could you imagine what it would sound like if there was no universal truth about music? John leading the leading the band up here and said, okay, we're going to play this in the chord of G. And Andrew thought, G, well, you know, G to me means... And for Lavelle, well, what I think G means... And Angela on the piano, well, G to me is really just kind of... Could you imagine what that would sound like? It wouldn't be good. Could you imagine a language where our alphabet was subjective... Well, A to me, the letter A is really, I think I prefer it to be what you consider the letter B. What about grades? If our kids came home and you said, what would you get on your report card? And they said, I got all A's. Well, show it to me. And it turned out that they all, they had F's. They said, well, you know, an F to me is really an A. See, there is this thing called objective truth. And truth is that which corresponds with reality. Things like gravity. People say, I don't really believe in gravity. Gravity, to me, isn't really a thing. Well, it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. If you step off of a building and there's no ledge, you're going to hit the concrete or whatever's down below. It doesn't really matter what you believe. You could choose not to believe that you need oxygen. And if someone held you underwater for a few minutes, you'd figure out that the reality is is that you do need oxygen. And without gills, like a fish, you're going to drown. Schizophrenia. I'm not making light of a situation or a mental disorder at all. I'm using it in order to expound upon the reality of Scripture, the truth of Scripture. See, schizophrenia... The reason why I put it up there is because I think that as sinners, when we come into this world, that we're all really schizophrenics. Because schizophrenia, the definition is a long-term mental disorder of a type involving a breakdown in the relation between thought, emotion, and behavior leading to faulty perception. What does that sound like? It sounds like sin. Inappropriate actions, what does that sound like? It sounds like sin. And feelings and withdrawal from what? From reality. What does that sound like? It sounds like sin. Into fantasy and delusion. I want all of you to know that I am the supreme emperor of the planet Zanzibar in the galaxy. And you would all say, our pastor has lost his mind. He's finally done it. He's gone off the deep end. He's crazy. If I were to stand up here and I would tell all of you that when I was in high school, I gave everything I could into pursuing a scholarship so that I could get all good grades, that I would have a pristine education, that I could go to a top-notch Ivy League college or university, that I could have a great career, that I could write books, that I could make millions of dollars, 
that I could have all kinds of accolades and awards, that people would laud and praise me so that I could have a life of comfort and security. That I wanted to pursue my goals. And once I got there, that standing atop my kingdom, that I could then throw God a bone. And I could say, yeah, God, I'll, I'll give you a little something, something. As long as things at that church that I like are going the way that I like them, I'll write my tithe check. But as soon as somebody makes a mistake, as soon as somebody kind of goes outside of the lane that I'm in, see, because I'm the grand emperor of Zanzibar, right? And we say, that's crazy, but the other stuff, that's okay. Pursuing all my goals, that's normal, as a matter of fact. I'm supposed to be driven, I'm supposed to be motivated. And then we fake and feign humility and faithfulness to God. And Jesus stood in front of those people in New Testament times when he walked the earth. And he pointed at them and he said, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. See, reality is what God said it is. And the reality is that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whether you like it or not, it's true. The reality is is that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. All of us. Whether you like it or not, it's true. And whether you like it or not, Jesus is God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And we've got to deal with that today. Jesus is God. And now we've got to deal with it. See, everyone responds. Right? That's where we left it last week. We said, everyone responds. Some of us will turn our back as staunch atheists and say, I don't want anything to do with the church, religion, faith, any of that garbage. I don't want anything to do with it. And I think that there's greater hope for those people who deal with reality and they're grounded in reality. And they respond to what they consider reality than people who play games on Sunday morning and they go through the motions of being a Christian But when you really press into them, you say, are you living by what the book says? And they say, well, I've read it 20 times. I'm on my annual Bible plan. But are you living by what it says? And they say, well, I'm not, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to seminary. And I I think, Pastor, you're, you're pushing a little too hard, quite frankly. I think your expect, it's not my expectation. It's Jesus' expectation for you and your life. Are you glorifying Him with every moment, all the time, or not? But, but Pastor, you don't understand. See, I, I've got this job over here that I've got to do, and then, and then over here I've got kids, and I'm, and I'm juggling my life, and, and I've got this, this event, and I've got these things, and, and my friends, and the guys, and, and my wife wants me to do, and, and I've got all this stuff, and you're up there telling me, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to take care of themselves. But see, what we do is we pursue all the other stuff, and we say, you know what, Jesus, when I got a few minutes, I'm going to throw you a bone. And I think the point that I want to make this morning is, is we're not dealing with reality. We're schizophrenics. We're walking around delusional in a fantasy land. And if you say, Pastor, that's a little bit harsh, well, you've got to deal with Scripture. Because there were times where Jesus would walk up to a crowd and He would say, you know what? 
If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you've got nothing to do with me. And scripture tells us that many of the disciples left and stopped following him. See, Jesus wasn't about impressing people. Jesus was about causing people to deal with reality. And that's where we are today. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 28. When Jesus saw large crowds around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told them, Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another one of his disciples said, First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And we read that and we go, No big deal. No big deal. Because you're not there. But see, when the storm comes into your life, we run around like chickens with our head cut off, our hair's on fire. But he was sleeping, so the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us! We're going to die! But he said to them, Why are you fearful, you of little faith? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. When he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gardenas, Two demon-possessed men met him, and they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Some of you that maybe have some synthetic divisions in your Bibles are saying, the pastor just took three separate sections of Scripture, and he blended them all together. And you're right, I did do that. See, because God didn't put those divisions in there, we did. And what I want you to see is what I'm going to talk about now is reality. Reality number one, following Jesus is the hardest and most rewarding decision you can make every day. It's not what Liam did this morning and got up into a tub of water and say, I got baptized, I asked Jesus into my heart, and then I don't ever have to deal with reality ever again. Every day, Liam, every day for the rest of your life, brother, that goes for every one of us who's done that. It's not one and done. Has the Holy Spirit sealed our lives and ensured the fact that we're going to heaven? Yes! But the fact is is that we can lie to ourselves. And we can go to the motions and we can say, Mommy and Daddy, I asked Jesus into my heart. Well, I'm so proud of you, Johnny. I'm just so proud of you. Next step is to get baptized. Did you do that? I did it. I got wet. I got wet, so that means I'm going to heaven. And then as we sit down here every week in front of these kids... What does it mean to be someone that's a Christian? It means that you produce good fruit. Where's the fruit, folks? Are we producing? Are we relying on the fact that we asked Jesus into our heart? See, that's reality. Following Jesus is the hardest and most rewarding decision that we'll make every day of our lives. See those guys in verses 19 and 22? Verse 19, a scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
I used to make the assumption that this man turned and left, but Scripture doesn't tell us that. And we can't make assumptions. Maybe he was one of the guys that got in the boat. I don't know. Matthew doesn't say anything about that. The other guy says, First, let me go and bury my father in verse 21. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And I used to think that that person turned around and walked off and said, I, I, I really don't want, I got priorities, I got other things. But see, that's implied. We don't know. And where scripture is silent, what do we do? Shh. Don't fill in the blanks. There's a reason. And where scripture speaks, what do we do? We herald it from the mountaintop. And we're not embarrassed about it. I don't know what those guys did. We don't know what those guys did. But we know, for some, that's all it takes. It just takes Jesus saying, you know what? There's no Marriott Hotel stays involved, John. I'm not sure what the thread count on the sheets is going to be where we're headed. It's not a question that I asked when I went to Ghana, Africa. Hey, are these five-star hotels that we're staying in? Are you guys going to be issuing any sort of mosquito nets for me? Are you going to go because God called you or not? Well, pastor, he may have called you, but he didn't call me. We'll get to that in a minute. We're going to get to that. Storms come in a variety of shapes and sizes, everybody. For some people, it just takes Jesus saying there's no pillow involved. Some of us, it just takes Jesus saying, hey, let the dead bury their own dead. Peace out. Thanks, bro. I'm, uh, I'll catch up with you on the flip side, Jesus. Yeah, straight into the eternal lake of fire. At some point, I'm going to catch up with you. If it's not now, if it's not today, guess what? It's probably never going to happen. Jesus doesn't condemn us to hell. God doesn't condemn us to hell. We condemn ourselves to hell because of the choices that we make. There's not going to be a single person sitting in that lake of fire for all eternity saying, Oh man, you know, I really wished I'd have repented. Scripture tells us that there's weeping, yes, and there's gnashing of teeth, yes, but there's no repentance. They're not actually turning away from their sin and honoring God and glorifying Him. Comes in all shapes and sizes. God uses those storms to expose unbelief. What about you? Is it there? You've been going through the motions? Are you all in? Speaking of all in, if Jesus says it, then we can bank on it. That's number two. Reality number two. If Jesus says it, then we can bank on it. Back up to verse 18. When Jesus saw the large crowds around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. He said it, those disciples could bank on it. We're going to the other side. I want to ask you a question. If you were there and you heard those words, would you have gotten in the boat? Not a rhetorical question. If you were there that day, and you heard Jesus say, let's go to the other side, my disciples, would you have gotten in the boat? Not a rhetorical question. Would you have gotten in the boat? Would you have gotten in the boat? Would you have gotten in the boat? boat? Alright then, 
Fast forward to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus, the Great Commission, He says, Therefore, go disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Do you know who He's talking to? Us. His disciples. So if you're saying, I would have gotten it, if, if, if I'd have been there, Jesus, I would have gotten into that with you. But see, reality says, is he's already called you. God sent his son to go to the cross and die for you. He came up from the tomb. It's empty. He sent the Holy Spirit to reign in our hearts. What are we waiting for? If you're saying, I would have gotten into that boat, you convicted yourself. Yeah, your pastor set you up. Because I want you to deal with reality. We got to stop playing games, folks. We got to stop. Christianity is not a game. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no riding the fence. You're in or you're out. So what is it? Takes us to reality number three. When we follow Jesus, things inevitably go sideways. I hope if today's your first time coming to church, as we were going through the, the book of Ecclesiastes, we said the same thing, is that if today's your first day coming to church, and you say, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless, and you got up and you walked out and say, well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And I don't know why I had to go to church to hear that. And I told those people that day, I said, hang on, those are words from the mouth of a fool, hang in there, because the story's going to change. And so maybe if today's your first day coming to church, maybe today's the first day that the Holy Spirit has really begun to deal with that stone heart sitting inside of you. And the pastor stands up and speaks those motivational words that Joel Osteen says every week in his church is that when we follow Jesus, things are going to go sideways. Joel doesn't say that. Verse 23 and 24. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was sleeping. But he was sleeping. See, storms happen. Jesus said that they would. So why are we surprised? Why are we surprised? He said the rain's going to come down, that the river's going to rise, that the wind's going to blow. And see, when that happens, what it's going to reveal is did you build your house on the sandy foundation and it's going to get wrecked out of God's love for us? To expose the truth? Or did you build on the rock? And see, when the waters rise and the storm comes, it stands. It stands on the rock of Christ Jesus. See, that's reality, folks. So why do we argue with schizophrenics? Why do we argue as believers of people of the faith as the church, the bride of Christ, why do we argue with schizophrenics? Why do we argue with schizophrenics? 
See, I think that we underestimate the power of God to radically transform people's lives. I think we underestimate our desperate dependency. We don't really think that lost people are dead. All dead, mostly dead. They're all dead. They're living a delusional life, and yet we get on social media and we tell them what idiots they are, right? I can't believe that you want to take prayer out of schools. I can't believe that you rotten liberals want to take the Ten Commandments off of our public buildings. (laughs) And we get mad about it. And Jesus said, it's going to happen. That if you're my disciples and you're following after me, you're going to be persecuted because of righteousness. But we think that we go into our rants on social media and Facebook and that's going to change the hearts. A friend of mine who's a singles pastor, Robert Hooker, was my close friend in First Baptist San Antonio, is my singles pastor. He's been here a couple of times, and one of the things that Robert said to me early on in ministry, he said, Kevin, don't try to have a rational conversation with an irrational person. But that's what we do. Over and over and over again. Things are going to go sideways, folks. Do you believe it? Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Reality number four. Jesus said, don't worry about your life, so knock it off. We're walking around, carrying around fear and worry all the time. Let's rewind. Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 25. See, you can't be a slave to mammon and a slave to God. I heard a guest speaker this weekend talking about how fear is fuel for our lives, and that's not true. Fear isn't fuel. Fear is sin. It's the antithesis of faith. What I have on Connor's pillow from Scripture, one of the Psalms is, it says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust trust in you. It doesn't say, when I'm afraid, God, I'm going to turn that fear, I'm going to turn it into fuel for my life so that I can make my own empire and I can reign supreme, make my millions, and I can drive all of you in the dirt as long as you follow me on social media. You can hail me. I'll give you, I'll give you a like. I might follow you back. It's not what it says. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Knock it off. Next point, number five. Everyone dies. We're dealing with reality here, folks. Everyone dies, but we have a say in what it's going to look like. Fear exposes our believing. We're the main character of the story, and God has fallen asleep. Romans 14.23 tells us that everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything! Matthew 16, 25. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will what? If you want to save your life, what happens? You lose it. But whoever wants to lose their life for me, will find it. You'll save your life in giving your life to Jesus. Is that what these guys are doing? They're sitting in a boat with the eternal Son who's been anticipated all throughout the Old Testament. Everything within it is telling us, Matthew says in verse 1, he's the new Genesis, this is God, Emmanuel, 
He's the one that's going to right all the wrongs. He's the one that's going to lead us back to the Garden of Eden. And these guys are sitting in a boat with Jesus, and they're terrified because there are some waves. Yeah, they might be big waves, and they might have been afraid of water, but Jesus was sitting right there. Everyone dies. Do you realize that you've got a say in what that's going to look like? You can either die to self. You can either die to self, and you can live your life for Christ. That was the picture of Liam in those baptismal waters, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. See, the old Liam is up here in the bottom of that baptistry. And the little man that came out of that baptismal waters is the little fellow that's sitting right there. That is a new creation in Christ. Amen? Amen. And if that doesn't get you excited as moms and dads and as brothers and sisters and as a church family, if that doesn't get you excited, you're dead inside. You're absolutely dead. Your heart is stone. If you're sitting there saying, I see the pastor's mouth and his lips moving, but it's not doing anything. When does Luby's open? I hope he wraps it up soon, because we're only on point number five, and he's got nine on the sheet. So I hope he shuts up. I hope he gets on with the story. Or are you moved, and you're like, I could do this all day! You got to say in what it's going to look like. Jesus knows how to sanctify authentic faith. He knows how to expose the fake stuff, but he also knows how to sanctify, to mature, to lead and bring it forward. Those guys in verse 25, you know what they said? It said, Lord, save. They said, Jesus' name. The Lord saves. That's Joshua, Yeshua. They said, Jesus! Jesus! Lord, save! That's why I came. That's why I came. Do you know where I'm going? I'm going to a brutal, bloody death on a cross. And I'm going there for you, Ava Lee. And I'm going there for you, Jenna. And I'm going there for you, Liam and Lavelle. And Anne and Lou. And Andrew and Heather and Christine and Jean, I'm going for everyone. Everyone. But what I need you to do is I need you to die to self and I need you to live for me. So that counts for something in your life. Otherwise, I'm going to leave you to it. I'm going to leave you to your decision. If you want to spend eternity in a lake of fire, it's your call. See, Jesus knows how to sanctify authentic faith. He takes us right into the storms. He takes us there. See, because if you're faking it, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know if your life is a farce? Don't you want to know if it's a sham? Don't you want to know if the faith that you profess to believe in is illegitimate? Don't you want to know? And so Jesus comes into our lives and He allows us storms. To wreck all the garbage. Test me. Examine my heart and my mind. Is it real? Are you really God? Or is it that Allah guy over there? Or maybe it's a cow over in India. Which one is it? None of them died on a cross for you except for Jesus Christ. None of them. None of them 
came up from being literally and physically dead in a tomb for three days, except for Jesus. None of them ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us in the Father's house, except for Jesus. None of them sent the Holy Spirit to come into your life, into your life, into your life, into your life, to reign in your hearts and to guide and to lead, except Jesus. Jesus knows how to sanctify. You know, it could have been praise, but in verse 26, Jesus clears all that up for us. They could have been saying, Yeshua, Jesus, save us, we're going to die. It could have been a celebration. It could have been a hymn of praise. See, but their eyes were on the storm. As Casting Crowns has taught us that when our eyes are on the storm, we wonder if He loves us. But when our eyes are on the cross, we know. We know. Why are you afraid, you of little faith? God uses storms to mature His disciples. Are you maturing? See, because if you're not maturing... It may be a case that you're really not a disciple. He uses storms to mature his disciples. Point number seven. We're getting close. Hang in there, folks. Jesus isn't just a man. Do you all realize that? The men were amazed, it says in verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Who is this dude? Who's this guy? Who is he? He's the new Genesis. He's Emmanuel. Jesus is God and we've got to deal with it. Have you asked that in your life? Who is Jesus? Is he a good teacher? Is he a moral man? Is he a created being that kind of set an example for us to be good people? Or is he really the eternal son of God? You've got to answer that question. Reality number eight. We're always going to end up exactly where Jesus wants us. Verse 28 says, When he had come to the other side, where they start from? On one side, where they end up? On the other side. We're always going to end up exactly where Jesus wants us. That's not true of the supreme commander of the planet Zanzibar. See, because he's pursuing his own thing. The CEO... the tech guru, the mogul, the billionaire. We could choose that option and God will honor it. Or we can choose the Jesus plan. Jesus always takes his disciples to the other side. Someone asked me a question this week and they said, how much of it is us and how much of it is God? I said, it's a partnership. It's a love affair. The Holy Spirit's the one that causes us to be born again. He reigns in our hearts. He's the one that sealed us. And they said, well, can I lose my faith? No, you cannot. See, because if He's the one that saved you and redeemed you, if He's the one that initiated that, and we've died to self, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, we can't lose it. But the problem is, is that we have this fascination that we can actually delude ourselves and cause ourselves to believe that we're saved when the reality isn't. And that's why we need to keep on pursuing, keep on chasing. In Philippians 1.6, it says, who began what? He who began a good work in you will do what? He's going to carry it on to 
Completion. You can't lose it. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. Just keep chasing after Him. We're always going to end up exactly where Jesus wants us. God uses storms to advance His kingdom. See, that's the point. We got to deal with it. We got to deal with it. He always uses it to advance His kingdom. There's stuff going on. Are you a part of it or not? Are you a part of His kingdom? Here's number nine. I know y'all didn't think we were going to make it, but we did. Our flashes of pain are small in the eternal scheme of things. And I know that in this moment, there's somebody, at least one person out there, that says, I can't believe that the pastor would say the stuff that I've gone through in my life is small. I'm not saying it. Scripture says it. Paul says, momentary light afflictions. Momentary light afflictions. Say, well, Paul didn't know what I went through. I know what Paul went through. He gives us a list in one of his epistles where he talks about the number of times that he'd been beaten, that he'd been naked, that he'd been hungry, that he'd been stoned, that he'd been chased in the cities, that he'd been chased in the country, that he'd been shipwrecked. I know what he's been through. And he's the one that said these momentary light afflictions. Well, he didn't lose a child. He didn't lose a parent to cancer. He didn't go through the things that I went through. And see what we're doing when we say those things? They're saying that my story, my pain, my struggle is more important. It's bigger than Jesus. And when you tell me that my afflictions, they're momentary and they're light, you don't know. And I'm telling you that I do know. I'm telling you that you want to be the main character in the story. See, these guys were sitting inside of this boat and they became the most important thing. They became the most important thing as the waves were crashing in. Jesus, don't you care? And see, what Jesus tells us is what I care about is getting to the other side. Why? See, because there's these two demon-possessed men. When he'd come to the other side of the region that they were going to, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Has anyone in here ever been demon-possessed? Has anyone here ever been chained and left inside of a tomb? See, a little bit of water comes over the side of the boat of our lives, and we say, Jesus, how could you let it happen? And the reality is, is that there's people who are going through things exponentially harder than anything that you and I will ever go through. Do you have to worry about where your next meal is coming from? People in the United States of America, we are in the 99th percentile. Even our homeless population, 99th percentile in terms of uh, the opposite of world poverty. What we have, we are in the 99th percentile. Most homeless people in the United States, they can find running water. If they have a health or a physical issue, they can go somewhere and they can get treatment. Chained up in a tomb. And I think that Jesus caused all of this to happen. And I wonder, I wonder if those two guys, they asked Jesus, can I follow you? And he said, well, you know, the reality is, is that birds of the sky have nests and the Son of Man has no place. 
And the other guy said, well, I need to go bury my dad. You know, I've got these other priorities. And I wonder if maybe they went ahead and they followed Jesus. And then the storms came up. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just asking you. And then they said, oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? Have you ever been there? And then when you get to the other side, and then you find out when you go to Ghana, or you go to Mongolia, or you go to China, or you go to South or Central America, you go to the Amazon region, and you find these people who are living in these drug holes that are actually living in their own filth. And it causes you to hit the reset button. You say, all of the stuff that I thought were problems because my business failed and I was going to have some financial debt and my credit score was going to get reduced. How could you, Jesus? And there are people who are addicted to drugs who are hanging on to their life that are literally laying in their own feces and urine. And Jesus brings you to the other side and he says, that's why I brought you here. God uses storms to glorify His name. See, it's not about us. It's about Him. In His heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Let's pray together.